I think you need to feel a sense of control and your very first place of control is in your choice. I'd like to welcome Vicki McLeod to the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Vicki. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. So, You and the Internet of Things, a practical guide to understanding and integrating the Internet of Things into your daily life. I'm going to go down the rote path that I'm sure you've probably had asked a bunch of times, but there's people listening right now going, what in the world is the Internet of Things? So, you're the one that wrote the book on it, so <laughs> feel free. <laughs> okay, I, I did indeed write the book on it. So really, the Internet of Things describes the interconnected network of devices, and the way that I'm applying it in this book is in our home environment primarily. So I cover home, uh, health, transportation, sort of the, day to, the, the way that our day-to-day lives are touched by objects that are smart and connected. Uh, so that kind of defines the Internet of Things in terms of that they have to have this component of having smart technology. In other words, they have some form of artificial intelligence or some responsiveness to the user interface. In a sense, they start to think for themselves and they're connected to other devices. And typically this would be they would function without any real human to human or human to computer interaction after they've been set up. So they sort of function independently. Right, right. Now, one of the things that people who are trying to be productive do with technology is they immediately look at the tool and go, okay, this tool seems like it's going to be able to do the thing for me and they get it. And then they just let it do what it does out of the box. And that can be dangerous sometimes and dangerous might be a strong term, but it it can be, it can be counterproductive. Like for example, if you get, when you get your cell phone and from whether it's an iPhone or an Android device or whatever, it's it's pre-designed. The defaults are set for what the device wants to get out of you more than necessarily what you want to get out of the device. Can you touch on, like, I have uh, an Echo Dot at home, um, which is where I am right now and always am. Um, I have an Echo Dot, and it's, like, is it is it the same principles when it comes to setting up the Internet of Things? Like, do you, I want to know what what protocols or what practices people should do when they're saying, "Hey, I want to, I want to dive into this world, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that it's gonna, it's gonna pull me away from the reason I brought it into the home in the first yeah. place." Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's sort of three ways I'd like to address. That's a great question, Mike. And you know, first and foremost is with, and I advocate for this for any device or technology platform that you're engaging in, is to really be clear about what purpose is it serving, and and you're taking it from the productivity viewpoint. Um, But I just take it from the sort of being a human in a technical world. It's it's not that easy because we can be easily overwhelmed by the amount of choice available to us and by the sheer complexity of technology itself. And so part of my, you know, my mission is to kind of, um, you know, in a sense, add to digital literacy. Right, right. Democratize digital so that everyone has access and they can use it in the way that best serves their life. So first and foremost is to ask yourself, do I need this? You know, and I've often said in regard to this book, like you do you really need a smart toaster if your dumb toaster is making good toast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. don't really. And, and uh, you know, and I was uh, on, in another interview where the host was saying, like, he finds his, he doesn't like the smart features on his coffee maker. He likes to just make the coffee in the morning. It's easier. Right. So, so it's really about what do you really need? So I think that's the first thing to really ask yourself. And in the book, there are worksheets that people can work through. They're downloadable as well. But, um, you know, to really identify what the needs are for you and for your family. Because when you're setting up the Internet of Things in the home environment, 
environment, of course, there's going to be other users mm-hmm. involved, like your right. your kids and gamers and people who are streaming and people who are maybe doing home business. So that's number one. Number two, the problem with what you're describing is using it just out of the box. The biggest issue I think there is the issue around security. Mm. Um, most of our devices, including our um, our Wi-Fi like our router and and, uh, like our gateway, our Wi-Fi gateway, come with a predetermined password. You know, it's usually that weird numeric and symbolic long string of of letters and numbers. That information, even though it should be private, actually is not. And there's something called the dark web, which I know that you're familiar with, Mm -hmm. um, where those manufacturers' predetermined passwords are actually listed and available to people who have nefarious intent. So, one of the big mistakes I think people make is they get these devices, they bring them in, they set them up, and they use the manufacturer's password, or they set a password that is super simple and easy to hack should you become the target of a yeah. hack. And there's, you know, there's different kinds of hacking, but, you know, there are those that just kind of come in and mess with our systems for fun, like the Joyriders, and then there's actual, you know, organized crime syndicates that are involved in sophisticated internet hacking. And anywhere that you add a device to that network, you're creating a vector of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so that, then the very primary place is when that for, you install that first device or that the next device, create a good, strong, uh, hard to hard to figure out password. At least if hackers are going to go at this, let's make it hard for them. Right. And, and then the other thing also, the, the sort of the third thing around there, when you say, you know, the device comes to your phone, for example, kind of often more designed for uh, the use of the platform or the device itself than for you. A lot of that has to do with data collection. Mm-hmm. So the apps and the things that we sign up for and the services we sign up for, including our smart speakers and all of the other things we use in the Internet of Things ecosystem, those things are, um, all, all of them are collecting data. And that's part of what makes them smart. So it's this really interesting conundrum because when I you know agree to my terms of service agreement, which I usually don't read, like, 99% of the world, um, I'm agreeing to allow that data to be shared with that device or with the app developers. That will actually make these devices better. Google Maps is good because people give Google information about where we are on the road. That makes the maps better. Right. So we need to share this information, but we are giving away a lot of data and a lot of privacy at the same time. So again, to really look at what do I want this to do? How much do I want it to do for me? And how comfortable am I with giving away, like making this trade-off of security and privacy for convenience or, you know, perhaps the higher purpose in your life that you're using it for beyond just convenience or fun. Business is an example. So those would be the three that I would highlight for people. Now, when pe- people are probably already using the Internet of Things without even thinking about it, right? Like, I mean, most people, you know, I mean, you think about things like uh, Siri, for an example, and certain elements that are already kind of built into the devices that we're using, whether it's a smartphone, there's Cortana, right? There's all like these voice voice assistants, but there's also, and I've talked about this before, like Zapier and all these automation tools. There is a level of automation can be really important. Um, when someone wants to start using this this kind of technology and get into the Internet of Things, where other you've touched on like the idea of privacy and data collection and 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 that kind of stuff, but where where is a good place for somebody to start? If they're like, hey, you know what? I'm ready. I want to dip my toe in. Where, where, where did you begin? And then, where did, you know, I think that's probably a good place to start. Where did you start? And then, what? How did that lead you down the path of getting in deeper into this? 
So, yeah, the, again, really, really great question. So one of the things that I, I do say in the book is that, you know, even if you're not a user of the internet or a user of the computer, and I kind of wrote the book for the non-tech savvy person. Right. The whole time I was writing it, I had my 80-year-old mother in mind who, when I wrote my last book, uh, The Digital Legacy Plan that I co-wrote with, with Angela Crocker, mm-hmm. she peeked over the book halfway through and sort of said, honey, what's a URL? You know, and in, right. in that moment, I realized she was halfway through a book that was about technology, essentially, and she didn't have the sort of basic piece of information that she needed as a non-computer user. But whether or not you are a user of the computer or a user of the internet, you are a user of things. Right. And things are getting smarter all the time. It's very hard right now. Like if you were to replace, for example, the lock on your door or your doorbell, you're not going to go out and buy the same old lock that was on your door or the same doorbell. You're going to go out and you're going to look for a product that's a smart, connected product that you can run through your phone on an app. Mm -hmm. And that's probably mainly what you're going to find anyway. Like it's getting going to get harder and harder to get devices that are dumb. So so first of all, I'd say start with needs. So for example, if your washing machine is on its last legs and you know you need a new washing machine, then consider getting a smart washer. Right. First of all, it's going to be hard for you to find a dumb one. Like you can't really find a dumb TV right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that's another great place. Like right now, people, home entertainment is huge. So, you know, maybe you're going to start with a smart TV. Or the, or the, Uh, or the instant pot, like going from a, like what, that's one of the things that happened in our house. We went from like a slow cooker to, we didn't have a pressure cooker and we're like, we need, uh, the slow cooker was still going. Okay. My wife is actually pretty choked that we, we didn't, but I'm like the instant pot, it can do that and this, and it does both well. And I can go to bed and set it all up. I'm, you know, it, there's some convenience there. And that's where some people have started too with devices in the kitchen, right? Like Exactly. An, the, an appliance that you like your coffee pot or your toaster or something. And now, you know, Instant Pot as well. You can now have the Wi-Fi connected Instant Pot so you right. can run it from your phone. So it's, again, thinking first and foremost with need and then going out and doing your research and doing your homework about that particular product and what's available. Because, of course, there's a huge range from something that basically connects to the Wi-Fi that you can turn on and off remotely to something that may have all kinds of sophisticated features and your own user um, your own user tolerance for complexity and for DIY and for troubleshooting all of that needs to be and again there's worksheets there's ways of looking at that through the lens that that lens in the book really important so Mike you've known me for a long time and you know I'm very curious minded and very sort of open-minded about trying new technology. So I think it's really important to, to sort of follow your own lead in terms of how much appetite do you have to learn new things and how much do you want to be engaged in what's coming next. I've always wanted to add a human touch to what's happening in the digital environment and to really respect the fact that we only have so much, or we believe we have so much time in a day mm-hmm. <laughs> to adapt and learn new things. So that's a big part of it is just understanding your own tolerance level for that. The the other thing for for me, I got started because one thing I really wanted to try to do was to have a really simple and effective way of managing my Christmas decorations. <laughs> so, so this is, you know, and I would say there's a, there's a second driver. The number one one for me in my home was that I thought it would be just great to be able to so just quickly and easily, like not have to crawl behind the Christmas tree yep. to unplug my Christmas tree lights and to have my lights on my deck come up as well. And so my very first foray into kind of my own ecosystem was to develop a lighting system system for my living room and balcony area, which are attached to my home, uh, so that I could, with one tap, turn on and off my living room. So I would just get up in the morning and I would say, good morning, Alexa, turn on the living room. That's pretty much what happened with us too, but keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it was great. And I really found during Christmas, especially I appreciated it because everything was up. I could turn it on, turn it off. So that was really my, uh, 
in sort of in terms of, sort of like home automation. Uh, and, you know, you can have your whole home automated. There are companies that will come in and do this for you, everything from your blinds to your, you know, an, a smart mirror in your bathroom, and they will help you set up all of your um, security cameras, everything, right? There's, And that's not necessarily new. We've had automation right. for, for many, many years. Um, but the other part for me that really was a driver for getting more and more engaged was um, digital health options. Right. Because I moved and I, in moving, had to sort of let go of the geography of my doctor. And then I was looking to get a new doctor. And that's very hard to do the province that we live in. As you know, it can be really challenging to get a, a general practitioner mm-hmm. in these days. So I just started experimenting with some of the telehealth options and just was amazed at the seamlessness of the uh, experience of going online. And I used one of the local company's apps. Um, and there's there's many of them now. Um, but it was just amazing to be able to have a FaceTime consultation with a doctor who had access to my files, who had access to my prescription history. Not only was I able to have the consultation, I was able to get a prescription refilled, have that request delivered directly to the pharmacy of my choice, and then click on the app and then go, you know, in in 24 hours to the pharmacy and pick up that prescription all without leaving the comfort of my home. So for me, I just thought this is so beneficial and people need to know that they can do this. Uh, more, you know, there's lots of lots of positive benefit and features to to our technological world. Right. But I started thinking about older people. I started thinking about people with mobility issues. I started to think thinking about again my 80 year old mom, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, this is uh, to have access to this and to understand how it can work in a really positive way. How far have you gone with this? Because I think that there's also that too. You could. I mean, there are some people that have gone to the degree where the home is so, quote, smart, end quote, that um, especially, and you alluded to it earlier, like people who are older. Um, I mean, my mother-in-law is using, I think she uses Google Home. And so she she has that capability to be able to do things like asking questions and what the weather is going to be like today and all that stuff. And that's kind of where, but she doesn't done, she hasn't like plugged in lights or anything like that. Whereas we've done that here. And even even to the extent of setting up, you know, um, what do they call them in in, uh, in in Alexa or Amazon? It's the uh, almost like the um, the scenes where you could say, okay, this is the yeah, dining room yeah, scene. That's right. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but you know, people I, they're like in productivity when they get a new app or they get a new system, they're like, okay, I'm going all in hardcore. And then I found that all of a sudden it's like it's not sustainable. Or something, or there's something that falls through the cracks. So, where, like, how far is there? How far is too far? And how do you pull yourself back if you feel things are kind of getting a little bit out of control and you've kind of given too much, or you lose track of what you've, uh, you know, what you've smartened up within your within your home and within your environment. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this is such, again such a great a great perspective, Mike, because I think you need to really think about it from the perspective of you know first of all, what's your own aptitude to DIY? Because largely, you need to set up and maintain and troubleshoot these products yourself. I really emphasize in the book, and I've emphasized in all the interviews I've done about the book, that, you know, there are many experts that can help us. You're one of them, as an example. But there are many people in the technology field who can help both online and offline. I got huge value out of going to my local, like, uh, we have the source or Best Buy, you know, these kinds of uh, te- technology stores, retail stores, going in and just talking to their staff and asking my questions when I was wanting to get my system set up, getting their advice, super helpful. Uh, Many, and again, many, many experts. I have several resources that I've listed in the book that people can can look to, as well as your internet service provider Mm -hmm. are available to you. So really, 
you know, if you feel like, well, I'm not really a person, I'd like to get these things, but I'm not really a person that's that tech savvy, rely on the experts to help you. And you can even pay people to set up your systems. Um, so I think one thing that's a limit in a sense is your own um, aptitudes. Right. Also, there's economics, like what's your budget? Because, you know, devices aren't cheap. Mm-hmm. Techno- and the technology is still evolving. One of the big weaknesses that I see right now, and this may be what you guys have experienced a bit, is that it's not yet, we're not yet at a place where the protocols are standardized right. so that you could hook one device up and have it seamlessly work with another device and then add that third device and so on. There's still a lot of tinkering that you have to do to get, especially if the devices are agnostic. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if they're not part of an existing ecosystem, so one thing that I think people need to consider, and this is what I've considered myself and, and have advised people to do, is to think about what do you like to use? So I'm an Amazon user. I have an Amazon Prime account. I use Amazon Fire for my all of my entertainment. So when I was choosing a smart speaker hub for my system, mm-hmm. I went with Alexa. Right. Because I'm already shaped to Amazon. I'm already a user. And then a lot of my, like my books are on there. Alexa can read to me. So maybe you're an Apple user, then you might want to look at the Apple suite, or you may be very uh, tuned into Google, especially if you're an Android user then you'll want to choose a Google ecosystem. So your decision can be also based on what's available within that ecosystem and what they're really good at. Mm -hmm. Because each of those, what I call the kind of three majors in the space, they all have um, features and benefits that are sort of unique. Like Apple is kind of the most private one. So if that's really important to you, probably an Apple home system would feel more, you'd feel more secure with it. If you like um, shopping online and if you like the um, convenience that, that Amazon uh, features offer you, then Alexa is a great choice. But if you, if you really like um, information and data, like Google can't be beat when it comes to search. Right. If you want accurate search information, if you're that person that you were describing your mother-in-law and you really want to know um, some detailed information and you want to use it as a verbal search, then your Google's your best choice. So it's really about understanding your own user habits, your own aptitude and tolerance, and then thinking about your budget. And, you know, I set up my home with all of the automation for Christmas. But frankly, after Christmas, I don't mind going and turning off my own lights. Right. You know, it gives me a few extra steps every day. I'm at that stage of life where those extra steps matter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I don't necessarily want to. But then there are people who have one of my clients has a fully automated home. He uh, was traveling a lot and he can run his entire home from his iPhone, including all of his security systems, his freezer and fridge, his, you know, uh, he has a certain uh, uh, temperature controlled room for his wine collection. All of that he runs on automation from his smartphone. But he has the budget the time and he also has the ability to hire the people to help him troubleshoot managing passwords can be a real headache right think about it every website requires a new password each one needs to be unique secure and somehow memorable but there's a better way welcome to the world of one password where your entire company can generate strong unique passwords store them securely and access them across any device without ever needing a reset Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? 
I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. All right, we're going to take a break from my conversation with Vicky. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some of the other things that revolve around the Internet of Things. But first, I got to talk about the things that sponsor this episode of the podcast. In fact, I'm happy to do so. And I'm going to start off with one of the sponsors that's making a return to the program, Bambi. Now, when running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations... And HR manager salaries, they're not cheap. They're an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And from onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. This is month-to-month. There are no hidden fees and you can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash timecrafting right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash timecrafting, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash timecrafting. Get your free HR audit. Schedule that today by going to Bambi.com slash timecrafting right now. Okay, now I want to talk to you about something else, something that gives me a lot of things that I could use on my Mac with with very little time and energy spent into looking for these things, these apps, this is called Setapp. Setapp is a subscription for Mac apps. Setapp has now more than 180 apps. They're adding new ones all the time. Setapp packs 
180 plus high quality apps into one. There's an app for almost any task so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And that's a big deal. It's also a great value at just $9.99 a month. So instead of paying thousands for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee. And again, new apps are always being added to set apps. Updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions. I wanna share with you some of the lifestyle apps since we've been focusing on lifestyle in this episode that you can get through SetApp if you're a Mac user. There's Timeless, which is a really cool clock app that kind of customizes it so you can reduce time stress, which is a huge deal for people who are wanting to kind of make the most use of their time, but not focus on it. There's waiting lists. You can create beautiful countdowns to events. You can upload photos and videos to Instagram with Uplet. There's World Clock Pro, so you can know what time it is in different time zones. There's Timeout, which reminds you to take a break. These are just some of the ones that are in the lifestyle category, but there's creativity, developer tools, productivity, Mac hacks, writing and blogging, education, maintenance, task management, personal finance, the app you're looking for, you're going to find it in Setup. Uh, Setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps as well. So you know you're getting the goods with Setup. You don't have to spend time on app discovery and testing. Setup makes it easy to get the best tools when you need them. They're already in Setup. So I want you to give Setup a try. Visit setup.com and give Setup a try. It's free for seven days. And if you're a Mac user, it's going to make finding the apps that you need to get the job done simpler, easier, faster, and better than ever. So check out setapp.com. Give Setapp a try for free for seven days. You're going to love it. Now let's get back to my conversation with Vicki McLeod here on the Productivity is Podcast. Let's talk about travel, actually, because I think that, that, that I mean, as much as in our current season as we're recording this, travel is limited. Uh, the, I've been to, I mean, I remember when I was in the UK a couple of years ago and the check-in process was all automated. There is this, um, the, the rooms themselves that I believe was, they were the hub hotels in the UK and everything was, you know, everything was smart inside the room. Um, how does, you know, if you're not used to, and this is the attack I'm going to take with it. If you're not, not used to that kind of stuff in your own environment, and then it's thrust upon you, like that's happened to a lot of people, uh, you know, where the world is moving forward and smart, smart device and the internet of things is, you know, kind of becoming more, like you said, you can't just go buy a dumb TV anymore or the coffee maker that you want to buy. Um, they're not really made. I mean, the, the, the funny thing about coffee makers, either you can buy really cheap, dumb ones or really expensive, dumb ones. Like there's no middle. It's like, you know, the, the, or you end up going full manual with an arrow press, which is fine. But when you're dealing with like travel and you're going into say a hotel room or things like that, and all of a sudden you're in a place where this stuff is, is there, how important is it for people to get familiar with this stuff or at least start to pay attention to it so that they, they, they can move about their daily lives and not feel blocked or challenged mm -hmm. by this technology that, that is now becoming more, uh, more prevalent. Yeah, I think, again, this is such a, a big area to discuss. And in part, this is why I wrote the book. Because I think, again, I'll use my mother's generation as an example. Um, and, you know, to some degree, mine, although I want to always be careful about just sort of demographic information. I think it's not necessar necessarily how we want to group people. But just to say, like, she loves to travel. She's a very engaged 80-year-old. Very vital. Uh, but for her, she finds nothing more frustrating than the fact that she can't just call someone on the phone and make right. a reservation. And that when she gets to the airport, she has to handle everything herself. Uh, super frustrating experience, user experience uh, for her. Be because she's not adapted. And so in part, 
seeing that coming, I kind of wrote this book hoping that it, at least it could act as a bit of a guide to help people become more familiar. Because I think to answer your question, it's really important that people become, again, this, have this digital literacy, have right. this level of being able to function out in the world because the world is moving forward. But one thing I think about the uh, coronavirus pandemic is that it, we're, what we're experiencing, and again, we're recording this at a certain space in time, uh, a huge digital leap forward. People who have, my mom's on Zoom. Mm -hmm. We just got her on. It took us a month. It took us four full weeks to get her there. But she's there because the importance of communicating, that's a high value for her. Um, so she's willing to over, like to cross her digital divide in order to get there. Again, to if you really are a person that's committed to travel uh, and when we're all free to do so much more, you know, much more abundantly than we are right now, that you need to at least familiar yourselves with the basics. Right. And, and to understand those choices that, yes, there are still places you can go where a concierge is going to check you in and it's going to be a human being. But if you prefer, you can use an online concierge and check yourself into your hotel. Mm -hmm. But you need to understand that you have that choice. Um, thinking about travel slash transportation, you know, things like Uber and Lyft, which, you know, we're just adapting to here where we live. Uh, it's been a slow adaptation, but it is very much worldwide. Those services are used far better than expensive taxis. Right. Much nicer than public transit, especially if you're an elderly person. Mm -hmm. So this is an option that's available, but you need to learn how to use it and to develop at least some a rudimentary degree of comfort with it. Right. Now, one of the, before we wrap up, one of the things I want to touch on, and this is an area that I think is, it's, it's so prevalent uh, for a lot of people. It's one of the gateways is fitness trackers and fitness and health stuff. You've touched on health a little bit earlier on. I have an Apple Watch. I have a first-generation Apple Watch. So my Apple Watch is one of the older ones, but it still does fine handles. I mean, that's the other great thing about technology is if you're using it, the, a lot of the bare essentials will work fine until, you know, for a, for a longer period of time, and it may not be able to take some of the newer stuff on. But for a wearables, they, are, they tend to be as connected as long as the device runs until the device is just dead. So... I want to talk about fitness trackers a bit because I think that that's an area where people can kind of get into and it's where maybe their first introduction to the internet of things, you know, has been, um, how do you use one? And if someone is thinking about getting into the, getting into that, is this a good gateway for them as well? So, yeah, so it's funny, this really relates um, to the question that you asked earlier about, you know, people may be using this stuff with not, without even knowing. Mm. So that's a great example of an Internet of Things device, the Fitbits and, and those kinds of and Apple Watches and wearable fitness devices uh, that people have been using for a long time. In fact, uh, there's an interview that I cover in the book. Was it Dr. Ho, who's one of the leading digital um, health researchers here at, at UBC? He's a worldwide leader, but he happens to be based here in the province of British Columbia. You know, and he actually attributes a lot of the um, forward movement in digital medicine to the consumer adaptation to fitness trackers. Right. That in fact, in this case, consumers have led the way by their willingness to put on devices that monitor and track all kinds of bodily functions, you know, far beyond just measuring our steps, which I think is, you know, for me, that's a great use of the technology. Mm -hmm. uh, again, she's my mother for an example, when we were on a vacation together in Hawaii earlier in the year, and she didn't realize that her phone could track her steps. So I showed her how to use that, and she got really into going for walks. A woman that really has not been that into that. Yeah, yeah. Because if suddenly she could see the result. Yep. You know, and so for her, she, you know, she would say, oh, I've never used the Internet of Things. Well, in fact, 
She is using it, you know, <laughs> yeah. so there's an application, but there had to be, it had to be a meaningful application. It had to be an application for something that, you know, like being in competition with herself is something that she finds fun right. and enjoyable. So, um, you know, in terms of fitness trackers, you know, for myself, I said, oh, that has the word fitness in it. It's not really my forte. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say I'm a lot more fit now than I was when all this started. Um, but I, I used, I do use the, the steps tracker and my husband and I talk about it at least twice a day. How many steps have you gotten today? How yep. many steps have you gotten today? Day, we try to measure, right, especially right now, that making sure that we're getting out and getting our steps. But it is really a gateway, not only for the user, the individual, but also for our acceptance of digital medicine as a whole, which I think is the next big breakthrough in medicine. We're already seeing robots being used to treat coronavirus patients in places like Italy. Uh, we're seeing um, driverless cars being used to deliver COVID testing at the Mayo Clinic. Mm -hmm. So we're already engaging um, robotics and artificial intelligence on the health front. That's just currently leaving aside the fact that we've used things like heart monitors and so on with a huge degree of comfort. Now we're shifting that to where that data can be shared, that data can be used, that data is in real time. You can be consulting with your doctor while you're wearing a monitor. Um, you know, the, the applications are vast. And I think it's an important gateway both personally for our comfort level, but also just for what it could mean to us for long-term health. Well, yeah. well, and, and I think the, the biggest thing that people should take away from this, at least from my vantage point, and I definitely want people to pick up the book, is that um, if, if you having a working having literacy around this is super important but then the the fact of the matter is is that the internet of things can help you do the things that they do well so that you can do the things you do well absolutely there's an, another little part in the book where i say uh it's actually attributed to our friend steve dotto where he said one of the things he would add to what makes a device a smart device is that it has focus it usually does one thing but it does that one thing extremely well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why not have that kind of support in our lives? Exactly. Like I can walk into my living room and say, Alexa, turn on the lights and it turns on all the lights and I don't have to think about it. And I know it turns it off. Mm -hmm. I mean, the danger, yeah. like all oh, for anything is too much automation to, to keep. It can be daunting if you don't have a way to keep track of it. Right. Like, yeah, you need to, I think, um, moderation. Well, I mean, we hear this all the everything in moderation, right? You get to decide what moderation is for you. Though. Yeah, and I think it's that sense of control. You need to feel, I think there's a lot of fear about artificial intelligence, especially in robotics. Mm -hmm. I didn't write about that. There's lots of books about right. that. There's lots of books about its application in business and industry. But for the home user, I think you need to feel a sense of control. And your very first place of control is in your choice. You can choose not to have any of these devices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, Absolutely. And, and what I love is that it, basically... The goal of this book, and you've got it written subtitle, it's a practical guide to understanding and integrating the Internet of Things into your daily life. Yes. Awesome. Hey, Vicki, this has been a great conversation. Where can people pick up the book and keep up with your work? Because you've got a lot of stuff going on. Yes. Well, notionally, the book is available in bookstores. So presuming that some bookstores will be open. Uh, but if they're not, Amazon, of course, it's available on Amazon. It's available on my website, vickimcleod.com. It's also available through Self Council Press, my publisher, and they will ship. Uh, it's also available as an ebook if people prefer a digital a digital version. And I also am offering a podcast that covers some of the key components of the book as well that's available on iTunes or on your favorite podcast player. And you don't need to remember any of that stuff because this app that you're listening uh, to the podcast through has the links to all this in the show notes. You just have to tap it and you're well on your way. Hey, uh, Very smart podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Vicki, thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivity is Podcast. Thank you, Mike.